To pay for public schools, Illinois relies more heavily on local property taxes than most states. This works in property-rich districts. Schools in Chicago's wealthier north and northwest suburbs do better under this formula than anywhere else. But rural schools are paying a price. In La Harpe, a tiny rural town in the middle of Illinois, high school students don't have access to classes suburban kids take for granted. Not Spanish, not calculus, not even pre-calc. That's because La Harpe's homes and farms generate less property tax revenue for the schools than they did about 20 years ago. As part of our Chicago Matters Valuing Education series, producers Todd Melby and Diane Richard spent time in several rural Illinois districts to see whether state funding decisions shortchange schools in small towns. Their documentary, Flatlined, How Illinois Shortchanges Rural Students, starts in the La Harpe High School gym, where the sweetheart dance is in full swing. It's a couple of days before Valentine's Day, and we're at the sweetheart dance in the La Harpe High School gym. Red and gold metallic strips are draped mid-court around the dance floor. Kids quiver under a disco ball, like a school of fish in choppy water. The girls are wearing sparkly strapless dresses. Some drove a half hour away today to have their hair sculpted into elaborate updos. Those who wore heels are now barefoot. Others are in flip-flops. And a few of the boys sport sunglasses on their heads, slick with gel. This may be one of the last dances ever at La Harp High. Enrollment here is down to 127 students. A proposal to merge the high school with two neighboring towns is soon to be voted on here. If it passes, La Harp High will close for good. Hey, all you people who want to get your picture taken. That's perfect. And girls, lean in behind them. Just like you are. That looks great, guys. Smiles. I'm going to get about two more. Let's keep smiling. On the day before the dance, we stopped by Mrs. Logan's sociology class. We asked the students what they thought about their school's possible closure. One of the schools that we're going with, they're, they're kind of jerks, and it's got to be like all about them, kind of. Well, I don't mean a bad way, but... And then if we lose our school, then our town would go even farther down. We're going to have to do it sometime, though, is what I think. Because I don't think we can last much longer, really. And why do you say that? Because we're going to run out of money. We need to do something soon before we get into that bad of a state. Do you, do you, have you noticed that it's been bad? Well, lately, like, we haven't been able to have certain classes. Like what? Spanish got cut, and, like, some, some teachers have to do more than what they would usually have to. Like, we have PE teachers also doing some English and stuff like that. You hear a lot of students that go to college from here will say they feel like they aren't prepared. Like, there's other students in there who have gone through calculus in high school, and we don't even offer a pre-calc. Who's going to move back to La Harpe? I'm out of here. <laughs> I said I'm out of here. Because there's nothing around here. There's no job opportunities. There's nothing. I mean, this town's going down. It's going to be gone here in like the next 10 years. La Harpe is located near the Mississippi River in central Illinois. Its population is about 1,300. Main Street is full of boarded-up buildings and empty lots. The town hospital is now a nursing home, 
and residents worry that their one restaurant may close. There's not much for kids to do around here for fun. They hang out wherever they can. There's like the standard people cruise up and down Main Street and just drive back and forth and back and forth. And once you meet up with like a bunch of people, you either stop at the standard and I'll talk or at the car wash or at the Y. That's not a Y, as in YMCA. That's a grass lot where two roads meet in the shape of a Y. When you go out of town, there's a Y and there's a grass lot. <laughs> there's a grass lot in the middle where we all parked our cars, but we've been kicked out of there now for littering. All right, you got to give us a little tour. So where are we now? Right, we're going to turn left to go to the Y. Uh, is there going to be anyone there? No, it's too cold. We're in the car with Bryant Fernetti and Zach Lotz. Both are in the sociology class and both are seniors. There are just 36 students in this year's graduating class. We're going by uh, our grade school and high school. Our grade school was built in like 1920. 1920-something. Oh, really? Yeah, it was 18-something. Actually, the original red brick school dates back to 1928. There's also a pole barn for the Vote Tech program and an old army shed that serves as the fourth grade classroom. We're turning right. This is where we'll get to. And that's really about all we got um, there. And at the Casey's, like, there's a car wash and, like, kind of, like, some cement, like this area where people go to hang out to. What have you been up to tonight? Working? I'm trying to stay warm, you know, stop running. We stop at the local gas station to chat with Zach and Bryant. It's where everyone in town shares news and gossip. We grab a booth beneath signs for farm auctions. Above us are military portraits of two local boys killed in Iraq. Students from rural districts like La Harpe have a hard time competing with suburban kids. <laughs> um, like, yeah, we're not going to be prepared. That's Zach. He's going into the Army after graduation. I'm one of the top, like, mathematics people in our class. I love math, but, like, on ACTs and stuff, if you, like, saw the scores and stuff, I wasn't ranked, like, n near the top. If I were to ever go to a math competition or whatever, I do really bad compared to like bigger schools. I'd look like a fool, but like at our school, I, I look really smart. But like now, we don't even offer pre-calculus unless you'd it's have, over the internet. Have, yeah, you'd have to go over the internet or go somewhere else, and you don't want to you don't want to take it over the internet because that you don't have an instructor to help you. And going somewhere else, you don't know what that's going to be like either. Bryant dreams of becoming a professional baseball player. He's a hefty left-hander who can hit home runs. He plans to enroll at a nearby community college, hoping to get noticed. A lot of things are stacked against a kid from a smaller school mm -hmm. um, in, all, in every way of trying to, to get a good future in education or whatever you want to go into. La Harp Superintendent Joe Campbell we'll is a, a busy man. Today, he's the school district superintendent, but he's also the elementary principal. Every morning, he checks in at the superintendent's office, and then he hustles over to the grade school. We haven't exactly decorated. No. No, neither place has that happened, but uh, in particular over here. Joe Campbell's office here is completely bare. When he's not around, he turns off the radiator to save money. Since 2003, Campbell's had to eliminate programs and lay off nine teachers and a principal to make ends meet. You know, the kids are are receiving an, an excellent education. 
The ability, however, to continue that continues to deteriorate and it is becoming more and more difficult. Like most rural districts, La Harpe depends heavily on property tax revenue to fund its operations. However, its businesses, homes, and farmland don't produce much income for the school district. Its property tax income now is about the same as it was in the mid-80s, and that doesn't account for inflation. Property tax wealth is best measured by adding up the value of all the buildings in a district and dividing by the number of students. In 2002, local property in La Harpe was worth only about $60,000 per student. That's a lot less than in some Chicago suburbs. In Rosemont, local property was worth more than 10 times as much, $680,000 a student. And in Lake Forest, it was worth $901,000 a student. The resources rural schools have available to them are very meager. Marty Strange is a policy analyst with the Rural School and Community Trust, a national group based in Arlington, Virginia. Rural areas don't have the industrial base or the commercial base that generates a lot of the property tax. They don't have the $550,000 homes. Um, They have farmland uh, or they have forests, and those are valued high relative to their ability to produce income. But they don't produce revenue for the local school. In towns like La Harpe, that puts the burden on a dwindling number of families and seniors on fixed incomes. In some states, rural areas are willing to tax themselves almost to death to keep their schools. Strange says rural districts try to make up for a lack of wealth by taxing more heavily. Property tax rates here are three times higher than on some of the wealthiest districts in suburban Chicago. The reality is that reliance on local property taxes, uh, not only in rural areas but in urban areas as well, introduces a great deal of inequity in school funding. Uh, The wealthier areas do very well and the poor areas do very poorly. That's the sound of Darren Spangler calling his cows. Darren is a part-time farmer and a full-time factory worker. He graduated from La Harpe High in 1988. Now he wants people to approve the referendum on the high school merger. With fewer class offerings at La Harpe, that seems like the best option to him. The three of us pile into the front seat of his Ford pickup. It's really quite a... I have to get friendly here for just a second until I get in a forward gear. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're a poor farmer. If all you can afford for pickup has a four-speed transmission, you know that you're poor because nobody likes a four-speed in a truck. Because <laughs> <Why is> that? are <laughs> geared so terrible bad. First gear is about a half Darren is taking us on a tour of his family's original homestead. He's the sixth generation Spangler to live here and farm this land. The house he shares with his wife Shelley and two toddlers sits just up the road from the Spangler Cemetery. Darren wants to show us a one-room schoolhouse where his grandmother taught in the 1920s. Schoolhouses like this once dotted the countryside. They were supported by local property taxes, just like schools are today. This is Pennsylvania. It's a little bit past its prime. What does Pennsylvania mean? That's just the name of the school. Schools were often named for the states the homesteaders came from. Even in their heyday, these schools were pretty humble compared to the urban counterparts. More than a century ago, education experts were arguing that this disparity was unfair to rural students. You guys want to peek inside of it? Sure. Oh, my uncle just passed away last year. He was the last. Last in our family to go go here. 
course we run cows all around this now so schoolyard has been pasture for many decades <laughs> it's definitely not much to look at the school sits behind a rusty gate it's about the size of a typical garage inside the walls are crumbling and the floor is covered with straw do you have any idea how many students would have attended the school oh at a time you know there had been 20 to 30 kids here easy that'd be the whole grade school though you know because they taught them all in in one hitch it's the exact same thing we're going through with the convergence now the the students started drying up even even 100 years or even 40 or 50 years ago to where it didn't warrant having all these one-room schoolhouses and they started you know the transportation got better of course and everything warranted bringing them together but Schools like this one closed in reaction to changes in society. Well, the families are bigger and they're just way more. They're just way more. I'll take you guys on a little drive back in here, but there's a lot of these dead-end roads that are still public roads that used to have multiple settlements and multiple families. You know, you could raise a family on 40 acres. And now, you know, full-time farmers got hundreds, if not thousands of acres. And The population of Hancock County peaked in 1870 at nearly 36,000 people. Today, 19,000 people live here. On our ride around the countryside with Darren, we spend most of the time on unpaved road, which he sees as a symbol of the state's neglect. I think, you know, the mentality, you get down here in the sticks, you know, they all think, all our money goes to Chicago. And, and, and I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty typical mentality around here. And I have to admit, I agree with some of that, you know, I mean, you drive around, we're still driving on gravel, for goodness sakes, here, you know, the kind of property taxes we pay down here and stuff. This is a county road right here. This isn't even township. This is county. <laughs> There's miles of county roads that are still gravel, and it's just like, <laughs> you know, we're centering on, hell, they're getting their 16th layer of concrete on that road in the last 40 years. We're still driving on gravel down here. So, you know, there's that mentality, but... Watching your taxes go up without much to show for it is common in many rural areas, says Myron Orfield. He's an expert on local government who teaches at the University of Minnesota. People there are stressed to the limits and they have no disposable income. And uh, they see a school district that may be declining in quality as their tax rates go up. Well, most people don't understand that it is the tax system that is driving down these schools in large part, not the not the performance of the local administration. Local property taxes have long been the main source of public school funding in the U.S. In 1639, Dorchester, Massachusetts, became the first district in the nation to levy a property tax for schools. This model made sense because schools were viewed as community services, like fire departments and libraries. The model was duplicated as settlers spread west, and it worked well for a nation that prized local control of common assets. But as rural districts have grown poorer and suburban districts richer, this funding model has failed. On average, Illinois school districts get less than a third of their revenue from the state. This means that Illinois depends more heavily on local property tax revenue than almost any other state in the nation, except Nebraska and South Dakota. Illinois has done less than most other states. If you think about Illinois spending maybe close to 30% of the cost of education, it's, it's dwarfed by places like Minnesota that uh, are spending 75 percent. 
as long as we work off of a property tax basis in Illinois, um, you're, you're going to see that disparity. Randy Dunn is the Illinois Superintendent of Schools. Disparity in Illinois is wide. The last time that, by most scholar standards, we were really kind of at, at some good sense of equity in the state it was about 1975, 1976, and, and we've been kind of struggling to, to get back to that level for 30 years. Dunn concedes that the state's reliance on local property taxes is especially hard on rural districts. But he also says Illinois has too many school districts. Illinois ranks fourth nationwide. If you want to get to equity, over 880-some districts in the state, it takes a tremendous, tremendous amount of money to be able to do that. You, you have a much easier time getting to equity as districts are larger and encompass more territory. This is essentially an argument for school consolidation, but rural legislators who favor consolidation tend to get voted out of office. Superintendent Dunn. The, these have to be local decisions. You can't force this at the state level because it really is political suicide for a legislator or an office holder. Of course, some politicians believe it's also political suicide to vote for tax increases. That may be why a statewide effort to raise income taxes to generate more money for schools has failed. Myron Orfield, the University of Minnesota professor, says there's another way to raise money for schools. You don't have to increase taxes. You can also share existing tax base. You can have the wealthier community share part of their ability to finance uh, schools with the existing ones. Across the country, poor school districts have done exactly that. They challenged the constitutionality of their state system for funding education and won. It happened in Tennessee and Texas in 1995. But a similar effort in the 90s failed in Illinois. In 1996, the Illinois Supreme Court ruled that large variations in per-pupil spending across districts did not violate the Equal Protection Clause in the state constitution. This left it up to the General Assembly to iron out inequities in school funding. To this day, legislators have not acted. Myron Orfield. Illinois doesn't have any leadership. It's uh, one of the few states in the country that can't seem to solve these problems. Uh, Perhaps it's corruption, perhaps it is indifference, but it is certainly having a devastating effect on the citizens of Illinois and other states like Kentucky and Michigan. Uh, you know, Mississippi, Alabama are dealing with these things, but Illinois seems so mired in, in, in chaos that it can't deal with the, one of the most fundamental issues on the table. Many rural school districts bracing for consolidation look to Olympia as a model. Located about 110 miles due east of La Harpe, near Bloomington Normal, Olympia became one of the state's first consolidated school districts. It merged high schools in 1972. And for years it was considered a success because it streamlined administration and gave students a richer curriculum. But Olympia's in trouble again. Declining enrollments and flat property values have hurt the district's finances. In recent years, voters have rejected referenda that would have raised taxes for the school. As a result, Olympia has had to slash budgets. Oh, my children's. Oh, my girls. Oh, my children's. Oh, my children's. Oh, my girls. It's 6.15, and we're at Jennifer and Rick Bowersfeld's house as they go about their morning routine. Time to get up, goody girl. The Bowersfelds have three girls and a boy in the Olympia School District. 
They range in age from 17 to 6. The cuts in Olympia have hit home here. Leah, a high school senior, was enrolled in Alpha Tau. That program for gifted students has been eliminated. Hannah, who plays the oboe, was looking forward to fifth grade band. That's also been cut. How about if you move over one, because I've got to do Seth's social studies with him. At breakfast, Jennifer is helping Seth with his homework. Seth has Down syndrome. Okay. Where did most immigrants have to pass through for inspection before they could enter the United States? No, no. Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. Ellis Island. Federal law prohibits schools from cutting services to children with disabilities. That's why Jennifer says her son's education has been least affected by budget cuts. Okay, guys, time to go. Two years ago, budget shortfalls forced Olympia to close three of its six elementary schools. Consolidation, despite the efficiency it promises rural districts, is no lasting guarantee. Don Hahn is the district superintendent. He says that local property taxes simply aren't keeping up with what it costs to run a competitive school district. Local property, the assessed valuation, has been flat for the last four years, meaning there's been no increase in local dollars for four years. If if it's flat, it doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) It doesn't sound bad except that every year there's increasing costs. If we have a $10 million teacher payroll and they get a 3% pay increase, that's $300,000 more I need next year just to start the year. Superintendent Hahn blames state legislators for refusing to make school districts less reliant on local property taxes. There is no political courage among our legislators to stand up and say, we're we're operating on a 300-year-old tax system. It's time to step up and fix it. We are at the middle school play practice. They're rehearsing for the musical Aladdin. And how many of your kids are in the performance? Actually, three of our children are in the performance, and uh, one of our children is an assistant student director. Is there any cost to participate in the play? Yes. Every student in the school pays $150 at registration simply for the opportunity for Olympia School District to be a competitive school. And then for each student that participates in any extracurricular activity, there's a $250 fee. And that includes plays, school plays? Yes, it includes plays, uh, band, chess clubs, scholastic bowl, basketball, football, all the athletics as well as all the fine art uh, programs. So how many nights are you going to come and see the show? Oh, we'll be here every time it performs. <laughs> We're back in La Harp. Tuned into the local radio station. Fifteen on the voice of cafeteria cooks throughout Hancock County, WCAZ. That's what they're serving today at the school cafeteria. This is Darren Spangler. Voting yes this Tuesday means maintaining local control of each community's current elementary school and sharing the benefits and opportunities that only a unified high school can offer our students. This ad paid for by Committee of Ten. On the day before the election, 
Darren Spangler is out trying to convince his neighbors to support the high school merger. I just wanted to make sure that you had got the information and I wanted to answer any questions you have. Okay. I talked to Alma. I've been to your grandma's. I had the best. A yes vote means the Harp will merge its high school with two neighboring towns and increase its property tax. A no vote means students will have to continue to make do with far less. But if there's any questions about any of it, I mean, okay, you know, hit I don't, me. I don't think so. Hit I've me been, hard. I mean, I know a lot of people. We've been flooding their bay with. Yeah. Yeah. men have gathered at the local gas station. Farmers are shooting the bull over pork sandwiches. Try to get in here every day and have a cup of coffee and talk with people in here and get the pulse of the harp, I call it. Dan Gillette is a charter member of the town's historical society. He's also a 1967 graduate of La Harp High. He's against the proposed high school merger, on the ballot for the second time in two years. Well, I certainly dread seeing our high school leave La Harp. It's, it's been an important part of our community for a long time. And if it leaves, I'm sure some of the businesses and some of the people will leave with it. If all those high school teachers leave, that's certainly going to be a sizable bit of our economy that will leave. So I take it you're going to vote no. I think you got it right. Yeah, I'll probably vote no. Did you vote no last time you said? I did, yes. I, d I don't want to lose our high school. I realize we're having some trouble in high school. There's financial problems there, but I think we've worked out tougher things before, and I think we can do it again. I got word this morning from Henry Nolden here in Carthage that he and his brother are available to shovel snow today. If you need dug out, you can give the Nolden boys a On the call. night before the Illinois primary, a spring storm dumped five inches of snow. The schools are all closed on Election Day. A year ago, a similar effort to merge LaHarp's high school failed. So supporters are nervous on Election Night. But like I said, right now, the thing we're watching is Carthage, so... LaHarp resident Tracy Anders paces the floor at the Hancock County Courthouse in Carthage. With him is Darren Spangler. He's also anxious. You know, it might be less painful if this fails if we just waited and they did them all in the very last so you wouldn't sit here getting your hopes up. <laughs> like, sit here, it's like, okay, my hopes are starting to come up now. It'd be a real good time to shove the knife in. This time last year it was over. <laughs> After a computer glitch and hours of waiting for votes to be counted, people crowd around a man announcing vote totals. Okay, Carthage 1, ready? <gasps> Carthage 163, 4, 100 against. Yes. The merger passes. Sweet. That is, that is exciting news. That is exciting. In fall 2007, LaHarp students will attend the new high school district in Carthage. They'll have a broader range of classes, including Spanish and calculus. As it turned out, that Valentine's Day dance was the next to last ever at La Harp High. But the sweetheart dance will stay in students' memories, long after the smell of aftershave and hairspray has faded. Flatlined, How Illinois Shortchanges Rural Students, was produced by Todd Melby and Diane Richard. Robbie Harris was the editor. Craig Thorson at Studio M was the engineer. 
thanks to WCAZAM Carthage. The executive producer of Chicago Matters is Julia McAvoy. Chicago Matters is an annual public information series made possible by the Chicago Community Trust with programming by Chicago Public Radio, WTTW 11, the Chicago Public Library, and the Chicago Reporter. For more information about Chicago Matters, please visit our website, chicagopublicradio.org.